0: If you if you volunteer for a plogging drive like a beach cleanliness drive or a mountain trail uh, trash cleanliness drive you you will have to bend down maybe three thousand times or at least a few hundred times in an hour to pick trash and just once if you do that No matter what what, uh, demographic do you come from, which part of the society, you'll never throw trash again.
1: Hello everyone, this is Shwadar and welcome back to another amazing episode of The Climb in Our Show. You know, one of those episodes, while listening to the person himself in the episode, I was so inspired and so motivated, you know, like, you know, this episode is going to help you climb your metaphorical Everest. It's going to help you climb your metaphorical mountains. Because today we have with us on board, Harshvardhan Joshi. He has climbed the Mount Everest, you know, but the most interesting element about his journey is... Under what situations he did that His journey was not easy Against all the odds He climbed the Everest And came back from the Everest Beating COVID And moreover his journey was a sustainable journey The way he managed his resources And the power of his grit So I hope you enjoyed this conversation And I hope through this conversation You are able to climb your metaphorical Everest I wish you all the best For all the adventures in your life And for the metaphorical Everest That you are going to climb so, now into the conversation with harshwardhan Joshi. Welcome to the clap and All Show, Harsh. So, Harsh, tell me that how does a day in your life look like? A day in the life of harshwardhan Joshi looks like?
0: Mm, I I wake up pretty early, around 4, 4.30 a.m. And then I go for my workout for the day. Uh, it's different every day. So, <laughs> my life is like a movie. Uh, <laughs> And people think that, okay, maybe I must be trekking every day. I, mm-hmm. I definitely exercise and work out every day, but it's different every day. Some days it's mm-hmm. a steep uphill hike. Some days it's a long hike. Some days it's a run. Some days it's it's cycling. Some days it's something like yoga just for recovery. So that is something which I do. But also many a time I have my meetings in the US around those hours. So first I attend my meetings at around 4, 5, 6 a.m. And then mm. I go for my workout. I, I return around 8, 9 a.m. Depending mm. on the day. And then I get my nutrition. I stretch and get ready to kickstart my day. I work from 9 to 5 uh, or 10 to 5, 10 to 6. In between during the lunch also. Sometimes I try to throw in a swim. But usually I go for a swim mm. at around four thirty, five p.m. Four days a week. I I swim around 1.5 to 2 kilometers uh, depending wow. on the week and the season and then I, then I read to my personal calls, other uh, side hustles and stuff like that so yeah this is what a day in my life looks like um, and everything revolves around the goal which I am working towards so uh, until Everest it was for Everest now it is for some other mountains or some other metaphorical mm-hmm. Everest. But yeah, I like to keep my calendar full.
1: So, you know, tell me something that was your day like this, like ever since or what actually took you to actually create this kind of routine? Because, you know, like sometimes I also do try these things, okay, that I have to wake up, then read something, then I do yoga daily, then, but, you know, sometimes just not able to follow it. So how was your like, how have you structured this this way? Like it seems so full. And it seems like, you know, I would say an uh, ideal day for anyone that who would want to have such kind of a day.
0: Yeah, it's it's fun. So, it's all about the goal which you pick and mm-hmm. why you are doing it. So, for me, uh, it's Everest. I want to enjoy up there. So, I, I sweat more here so that I bleed less out there and walk. <laughs> because in, in those... Uh, expeditions you are in sort of a warlike situation your life is at stake so you automatically get that motivation and another thing is why are you doing it like if you are doing it for Mm. some superficial reason like people say that i would go for a run every day or i would go to the gym every day or i would eat clean every day and if their reason behind is uh Just I want to look good or I want to get abs or whatever X, Y, Z. If it is very shallow and superficial, then it is very difficult to sustain it, very difficult to find motivation and people depend on motivation. But uh, discipline is what keeps one going. And even I was not Mm. like this always, but I am a systems thinker. So when I started my training plan in a scientific structured way, i i was enjoying it so a lot of people think that oh my god it's so much struggle but in fact i pity their perception even Mm -hmm. my parents that they think that it's some sacrifice or struggle but it's just lifestyle and i do everything which anyone else does i i do attend parties although yeah, i cannot relate to many of my friends anymore (laughs) Uh, i i go to sleep early around 10-11 p.m but i do read a lot i I do attend a lot of calls every evening even Mm. today I do a lot of meetings so I'm doing pretty much everything it's just about time management which came via sports which came via such uh, such missions which I undertook over the past few years and I'm still learning growing as a person so I think it's about the why, why you are doing something and if you have figured out the why then you don't have to worry about any how, you would do it anyhow. So you don't have to worry about how you are going to do it.
1: You know, I feel that one of the most beautiful element of this, like this kind of lifestyle is that you're actually consciously living every moment, you know. It's not just that you wake up and the day just passes by. You exactly, you know, you're just breathing every second consciously. I feel that is the essence and that is something which, you know, a lot of people, uh, I also try to incorporate in my day. So I haven't reached there, but, you know, in the process of reaching there. So definitely I can relate to this thing with you. Also, you know, Harsh, tell me that what impact has the journey to Everest uh, had on your mindset?
0: So, yeah, the feeling which you spoke about, feeling of mindfulness. Yes. That is something... Uh, Which I realized during my journey towards Everest, building up Mm. to Everest, and I I had even more realizations and lessons while climbing Everest, and even after that, uh, even today I'm learning every day. And no one is reaching there because if we reach there, then obviously we would be Gautam Buddha. But uh, (laughs) yeah, so Everest. And any mountain teaches you a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. a lot of life lessons. And more than anything, it teaches one the value of minimalism. That you don't need like. a lot of stuff to be happy, to accomplish anything. Because yes. out there, for example, at Everest, uh, there are. I have some friends actually who, who have spent over 10 crores at climbing Everest. And for a guy like me who did it in the most minimal way, I, I spent a little over 50 lakhs. Uh, but still everyone is the same because you cannot carry more than a certain amount of stuff on your backpack you cannot you can try to make your experience as safe as possible uh, hire the best uh, outfitters the best guides and everything but still you have to struggle you have to suffer you cannot make it uh, safer above a certain extent easier above a certain extent more comfortable and that is when you realize that even while struggling even when you haven't taken a shower for four weeks even when you don't have a bed you are sleeping on ice and your uh, life is on the edge you are happy and you are living in the moment and you realize that you don't need anything To be happy. You realize the best things in life are free. Because although Everest is expensive, there are many other mountains for which you don't need Mm. any money. You just need your top of the world body and mind. So yeah, you learn that feeling of minimalism, which also relates to sustainability and many other things uh, around the environment. And uh, the feeling of mindfulness living in the moment. And also it teaches you a lot of other... Stuff which you can come back and implement in every aspect of your life because most of the people which you found find on those big mountains are, are not hippies or full-time backpackers. <laughs> there must be hardly a small fraction of the people climbing big mountains. Mostly it's the uh, executives, investment bankers, CFOs, CEOs and all of them because they know how how beneficial it is, how good it is, and they come there on their sabbaticals or on their leaves. They train hard while working full-time, 50 hours, 60, 70 hours a week. They make time and train in their urban environments and they come there to experience outdoors and take back the lessons to be better leaders, to be more eco-friendly leaders, to be more creative in their businesses and stuff like that. So I don't know where to start and end, but yeah, (laughs) mountains teach you how to live.
1: And, you know, like hearing this, it feels incredible. And, you know, at that point, when you said that, when you're sleeping, you know, on the ground and all these things are happening to you, I feel in that moment also that satisfaction that you're moving closer to your goal day by day, second by second, minute by minute is something that keeps you alive. And, you know, I feel that a lot of people might not climb Everest or have not climbed Everest. But this feeling is similar even when you're climbing your metaphorical Everest's.
0: You so I need understand. To climb yeah. Everest, uh, like like I tell everyone, yes. it uh, for some people getting that college degree or uh, starting your own business might be something like climbing Everest.
1: So, her. Since we were talking about you know minimalism and sustainability, I would like to ask you this question: that how has you know your outlook towards resources or managing resources changed, and how has it affected your life after returning from Everest?
0: Um, so not just specifically after I Everest but it changed a lot during my experiences across the Himalayas over the past mm. few years because when I would visit a lot of remote villages especially in Ladakh and sometimes in Nepal I would see that uh, those guys don't have electricity although they are much more content in life they are happy yes. But they don't have communications, they don't have healthcare and sometimes when people are sick, they have to trek for days even to inform someone that they need help. Uh, And then I saw some very basic struggles as well that uh, people who don't have access to electricity, they lose 12 hours of their lives every day so children cannot do homework people cannot cook food people cannot go outdoors they don't have a social life and stuff like that and just when i saw that some people like someone in a village gets one small solar powered light or something and that uplifts their lives because it gives them uh, a lot of things like for the first time for example around everest when mm-hmm. i was donating some solar systems. Uh, some of my partners sent me a small boxer kit which had like three, four bulbs, one tube light and a small charging device which had an FM and a USB <laughs> charging. And I was like, uh, I was a little embarrassed. I was like, I'm talking about electrifying villages and this is something very small. But when I yes. gave it to one person, one of the villages, the first person I gave it, to the first kid he was so happy he was like wow this is awesome (laughs) and then i saw that that radio is the only source of information education and entertainment for him because of that usb charging he can have a small basic black and white phone now because until now he couldn't uh charge it he had no means to charge it now he can use that phone and then he would climb a hill where you get some network some yes. sketchy network but still he can he can connect with the outside world with those lights obviously earlier because people sometimes okay people would say get them torches but they cannot mm-hmm. afford batteries and let's say one person has one solar torch from somewhere uh, like after saving for a long time in a household when one person goes out with that torch to the fields everyone else is in darkness so this is these are the stuff which i realized while going to the mountains and i realized how important uh, sustainable development is not because of climate change and obviously global warming yeah. and everything which i was aware about given my education and everything but also on the socio-economic front how these yes. 17 sustainable development goals from the united nations can help us with a holistic development obviously while helping us fight climate change so this was one of the examples and similarly i i saw a lot of glaciers melt i saw places changing in front of me because i go to some of those places every year including everest so I saw the first-hand effects, I saw people suffering like in Ladakh, I saw flash floods flash floods for the first time, I saw cloudbursts, staying in Mumbai I don't know what's a cloudburst and in fact even today I don't exactly know how does it work out but I saw the first-hand effects of it. And which is not, na- which is not natural, like which which didn't occur until a few decades ago, but now it is so frequent. Similarly, in our climbing expeditions, the weather patterns are changing. So our sport yes. is becoming much and uh, more dangerous, more vulnerable due to climate change. So yeah, there were a lot of good and bad lessons uh, which I learned during my endeavours, not just Everest, but everything before and after it.
1: So would you say, Harsh, that, you know, what, ha- whatever you have learned before actually climbing Everest, you know, like one thing I loved about you, here is is that the way you've kept these experiences and the way you have taken them to Everest would you say that all these experiences actually helped you towards a sustainable expedition that you did and you know the kind of uh, like what you did on your journey to Everest because like I would like the listeners to now know that how you have taken all these experiences and added something extremely meaningful to your journey towards Everest yes so when I when I was
0: planning my Everest expedition like I I knew I was going to climb Everest since 2015 2016 I I didn't know when and around 2017 18 I uh, I was planning to climb Everest in 2020 due to the pandemic it got pushed to 2021 right. so just when I was planning my campaign I knew that I want to support some cause during my expedition and the first thing which I which came to my mind was animal healthcare because I I love pets and I I've lost a few due to the lack of awareness and healthcare facilities for them in India. So I thought I would do something around that. But then I realized that um, the world won't relate, and I also knew that yeah. uh, there are some more. Uh, more important causes which need attention and that is when I wanted to pick something from the sustainability development goals and then I saw that renewable energy can help me or us solve a lot of issues on the environmental front while also helping on the socio-economic front. So it it brings them income, employment it improves their health because they burn less fossil fuels. It helps us fight climate change. It brings education. So I think this one thing can solve a lot of issues at once so I picked this cause and then I wanted to do something around it mostly on the uh, awareness part. So Uh, during my Everest expedition uh, I decided to carry some solar panels out there which I would use at the base camp because we spent two months climbing Everest and after that I donated it at some of those mountain hamlets out there so uh, not mainly to show that okay we saved like a few trees uh, uh, but with the example I wanted to educate people and create awareness that okay just by switching to renewable energy In those months, we can create a carbon offset, which is equivalent to planting whatever XYZ, like five trees or seven trees. If you make mindful choices in your everyday life, uh, you can create a much bigger impact while saving money, while not doing something extra, because we don't have that kind of bandwidth or resources to plant so many trees, but just by switching to solar energy or wind or anything, you can you can create a carbon offset of planting acres of forest without investing any other resources. Uh, for example, a family, when I donated some solar panels in some villages in the Himalayas, we, we did this math that a family of four uses around... to 1 kilowatt system equivalent electricity for which we give them like a 80 to 100 watt panel system. So within one year, the carbon offset from that is equivalent to planting trees over 12,000 square feet of area. So over 30 years, the compounded effect is equivalent to planting nine acres of forest. So obviously, they wouldn't have the space or the bandwidth to Go and plant 9 acres or even 1 acre worth of trees and take care of them. But this way, they have done much more for the environment. While they also get free electricity, they get uh, uh, they get freedom because solar is free for all. So they, they can produce as much as they need. And it's, it's just a very empowering feeling for even us when we do that and we see change. So... These are the kind of examples which I tried to put across through my campaign that if I can go clean and uh, take this message to the highest point on earth, then they can do much better in their yes. comfort zones uh, from the convenience of their cities.
1: And uh, is it what you meant by when you said that the beauty of sustainable energy is it that it democratizes health, education, and empowers people?
0: Yeah this is what I meant I believe you read it somewhere in one of my articles yes
1: I do very good research for every interview
0: <laughs> so you must be bored now because I'm repeating a lot of stuff but for you no ask- I'm
1: not bored harsh you know because when you read you just read those words but now when you're telling that there are emotions that are flowing in And, you know, all these experiences that you're talking about, you like, I prefer, you know, learning from the person himself or herself, because then comes true emotions And that is what is like extremely special to me. So, Hirsh, my next question to you would be, and this is something that you have mentioned, I really like the way you've explained this point. So, I would like the listeners to know, uh, why do you think that everyone should volunteer in a cleanliness drive once in a lifetime?
0: So again with this I will I will try to explain it with an example because yeah. uh, you you must have realized I love examples and relatable stuff so for example if you if you volunteer for a plogging drive like a beach cleanliness drive or a mountain trail uh, trash cleanliness drive you you will have to bend down maybe 3000 times or at least a few hundred times in an hour to pick trash and just once if you do that no matter what uh, what uh, demographic do you come from which part of the society you'll never throw trash again so that feeling of uh, awareness and enlightenment comes from volunteering similarly if you volunteer with any non-profit there are at least a thousand of them doing very good work in the remote areas of India. If you volunteer with them for any cause, especially around environment, you would see how privileged you are. No no matter how difficult your life seems right now how how bad the situation feels that oh my god uh, things are not working out but when you see those villagers, those people in the slums or the tribal areas and you see them they smile even with those limited resources when they are not sure about the next meal you will realize how privileged you are and you will feel like giving back to the society much more creating much more impact and that feeling of gratefulness uh, brings a different kind of happiness so yeah for personal happiness also one can volunteer but even otherwise one would become a much more responsible youth so i think that is why you should volunteer for ngos uh, for non-profits Definitely. for causes and for fun you get to travel you get to learn culture yeah. and it looks good on your profile your resume so if you're <laughs> ever planning to take up a job or stand in elections or go for masters or scholarships or anything all these experiences count a lot
1: and you know, like someone was mentioning this earlier on the podcast, that once you actually start doing these things, right, just take the first step and that green muscle in you, it starts strengthening. So when you like, say, for example, go for picking the trash, maybe the next step you would think that not to throw it. The next step would be, okay, let's make choices, but something you actually not need, then it could be about clothes. So I think it's just the green muscle that just keeps on strengthening day by day, minute by minute.
0: Exactly. Because I I, re, I came across this thing just two weekends ago when we were organizing a solar camp at three villages, which we electrified through Project Chirat. And there okay. one of the guys from IIT came and distributed 100 solar cookers, very simple solar cookers to six, seven year old kids. And the motto behind them, we explained them the science behind it for 3-4 hours and we made them cook on it. So it was not about they making it, making the use of it and using it for years. But the goal was that even if one of those kids is inquisitive, and tomorrow might become APJ Abdul Kalam and might make something much more efficient it's all about creating awareness and igniting that green muscle which you spoke about like I I really like that word so yeah igniting that curiosity that feeling uh, bringing that awareness so I think yeah awareness is the biggest cause or biggest way to support any cause because uh, rather than just one person doing it trying to create impact Now, like I have an audience of 200,000 people and millions of people read about my journey. So I tell them that I did nothing, but I just (laughs) try to champion the cause and it at least uh, starts the discussions because of which the industry would grow and a lot of things would improve hopefully in the near future.
1: Definitely. And you know, like collaboration is the key because we all have to do it together, I feel. And you know, the credit for the green muscle thing goes to Poonam Virkasturi from Daily Dump. She was a person that actually mentioned this thing to me. So you know, Hersh, there was this one more thing, which I found really interesting when I was like uh, reading about it and looking for this. So this was about impact tourism. So somewhere you mentioned that, you know, the impact, the growth of impact tourism could be beneficial. I want to know from you that why do you think that the growth of impact tourism is beneficial and also for people who do not know what impact tourism is please break down the word for them
0: so impact tourism means going to a place let's say some place like ladakh and not just contributing to the economy but leaving it better than we found or at least not yes. damaging it uh, because as uh, an outdoor professional we are taught leave no trace LNT principles by, by some US organizations because when we camp outdoors we want to minimize our carbon footprint and leave the right. place better for the next people coming to that area to that trail so similarly in impact tourism the thing is that one should try to uh, stay as local as possible so you you should definitely spend money you should create uh, employment out there but not affect the environment out there to as much as possible for example when we organize or curate experiences in the mountains we try to uh, keep it as slow as possible so that one can enjoy more see more while burning less fossil fuel and spends more time in homestays Eating local food, drinking local stuff, spending time with the locals because that that is how their uh, adverse impact is minimized. While the region also gets exposure to outside places, people get to understand, people get to help and stuff like that. So this is like one of the examples, but even otherwise, when we go to places like Everest, uh, you are really helping the economy out there because they don't have any other sources of income. So a lot of people uh, are, uh, like, are misled by the Western media that going and climbing mountains is bad, bad for the mountains, bad for the people or anything. But when you go to the valley, you would realize that those people are climbing mountains so that their kids can go to school. And all of them are grateful that, hey, you are coming here. They obviously tell you that please don't consume plastic. Please don't, uh, please take your trash bag. Please don't dirty our water, drinking water sources or anything. But they want that employment. And the way this can be solved is through Impact Tourism. Like how we did, like we went there, we spent money, we gave them employment. We did some cool and fun stuff. And we also tried to uh, attach a cost to it through which we raised funds and uh, tried to improve their lives. And because of us, they are very grateful that today they can have light at their place. They they can have income for the rest of the year. They don't have to worry about survival and stuff. And their kids can go to school so that they can take up an average job in India or in, an, in some other nation in the future, if not Nepal.
1: That's incredible. And you know, like, uh, is impact tourism somewhat similar to ecotourism?
0: Yeah, sort of. So ecotourism mostly emphasizes on the environmental part, not the social part or not Mm -hmm. the economical part. Ecotourism is mostly uh, around showing people the environment, but not necessarily in a sustainable way.
1: You know, like I have had the opportunity to experience this thing. So while we were like in an entrepreneurship program in France, so we were staying at a farm in Toulouse where we used to do woofing activities. It was a very local, uh, like a local farm. And we were staying at the, you know, the guest's house. And there we used to mend all these things, like the tables, we used to plant, we used to, you know, create uh, yarns and everything. And that experience was really wholesome. Something that I haven't experienced in my life. Like that was a one lifetime experience. And it just adds something to you, I feel. Also, you know, like I would like to know from you, since you have traveled mountains, mountains are your place. Have you seen the effects of climate change there? And what are the effects of climate change on mountains, on the people who live there? So what has been your experience?
0: About climate change, I can give you an example from my recent experience at Everest. Like there is this section called the Khumbu Icefall, which is a flowing river of ice at the Khumbu Glacier. It is the most dangerous part of Everest and until last year, like in 2020, nobody climbed but until 2019, people would take 4 to 6 hours to cross that section and this year the crevasses were so, so much wider and the route changed so drastically due to climate change and global warming that it was way riskier and we took 10 to 12 hours to cover the same route, uh, to cover the same distance. So this is one example. Similarly, when I was at one of the lower villages in the valley, when I was at Lobuche and when I was going from Lobuche to Gorakhship and Gorakhship to Everest Base Camp, these are places around that glacier, Kumbu Glacier. And I could see that the glacier is gone, uh, is melted and retreated by at least 100 meters maybe much more and i was there in 2019 similarly at ladakh also i have seen glaciers melting vanishing literally because i have been going there since 2016 every summer and i have seen years when there is excessive snowfall when there is no snowfall when there is rain so people here uh, might be so uh, so unaware that, okay, how rains can be bad, but they are bad in such cold desert regions where where it is not a part of the ecosystem. So because tourists are coming there, people are planting willow trees so that they can construct more hotels or have firewood, which is bringing rains because of more right. trees, which is also bringing flash floods. And then there's devastation once every two years, three years. So... Uh, People can look up Ladakh floods and stuff like that when a lot of people were homeless and even lost their lives. And I also saw something like that in 2018. So yeah, there's a lot of adverse effects of global warming which are clearly visible. And yeah, for that reason as well, one should go to the mountains but responsibly and the best way to experience even around impact tourism like you mentioned about farming so impact tourism and even adventure tourism in that sense uh, involves an activity-based tourism so you don't just go to places to click selfies but you do some meaningful activity out there or you take some real life experience or yes. gain some skill it can be farming it can be trekking or mountaineering it can be volunteering at a school or something but let's say let's say you are going to Andaman Nicobar just for a week and you are, you are just clicking pictures and chilling by the beach and rather you are picking up a sport like surfing or you are picking up scuba diving or you are doing something with the tribals learning to cook. In that way you, you enjoy much more. You take yes. home some richer experiences and you give them employment. Uh, also they learn a lot from you it's not just about the money the economy but it's also about the exposure so i think yeah this is something which you can add to the impact tourism part earlier
1: and you know that feeling of feeling fuller from inside i think nothing can trade off with that feeling
0: yeah so harsh i want yeah a meaningful experience
1: Yes, I want to know from you now that how do you pursue anything in life without any expectations and rewards in return? Like we often hear this thing that, okay, enjoy the journey. Journey is the most important part. But sometimes, you know, all these sentences just seem like sentences. While you are struggling, while things are not working for you, while everything just seems, you know, against you. During that moment, how do you work without any expectations? Because I feel that somewhere or the other, there is a hope attached and when every day you are putting in efforts you're not seeing things move so during that time how do you pursue anything without you know any rewards or anything from return expectation of that sorry
0: so because you have that hope attached and uh, the thing is trusting the process for me uh while climbing Everest uh I, I knew I had climbed Everest already during my journey of the previous few years of preparation. So obviously, like when I got COVID, i I was worried, oh my god i'm I'm gonna lose another year, but I'm gonna come again. I'm gonna keep coming back three, four, five times until i I have done it all, but I was telling my friends that, oh my God, I so wanted to finish this so that I could climb another mountain next year or I wanna move to another country, I wanna do a master's uh and stuff like that, and i obviously right. I also was worried about the money that okay, I'm gonna lose fifty five sixty lakh but I didn't I didn't overthink I tried not to overthink that okay where will I raise it from Uh, how will I manage that again because that was not the priority I focused on what was in my power so that is all about perception that trusting the process putting in the work without worrying about the results and I think it comes on long-term goals that's why I tell everyone that set some long-term goals and milestones around it so when you when you are in those long-term goal journey you are already a winner in life and then you won't be taken aback by these setbacks which are not in your control For example, we are are marathon runners, so we don't expect any results in three months. Okay, Hmm. oh, my timing didn't improve or I'm unable to run beyond two kilometers or whatever. Because you know you are working towards a long-term goal. Uh, So I also started from nothing. For example, a lot of people who meet me now think that I was always an athletic or (laughs) outdoors kid, but I I did not run even 100 meters in my entire life until I turned 18 and i uh so and then i climbed everest i i worked towards it so similarly uh this is the thing and second thing is that during everest this is something which i learned at the top of everest that a lot of people are too uh, too focused on the goal too focused on the result that they miss out on the journey and then you realize uh, on reaching the top that Okay, well, maybe this was this was not worth it, or this was not the highlight. So for me, right. I I knew that the top was for me. It was not about me, but something much bigger uh, and something about many others but i have seen a lot of other people feeling lost because even for me one thing is true that reaching the highest point on earth was not the happiest moment in my journey it was the small big wins and uh, to be able to relate to that i would also share that uh, uh, a lot of people Don't enjoy the experience while going to a mountain like Everest in the valley. Similarly, think about it in life. But when you go above base camp to the highest points, there is just snow there are no flowers the flowers are in the valley the view is in the valley yes. the lessons are in the valley and on reaching the top of the mountain they they want all that but reaching on the top is lonely and just on reaching the top of the mountain you realize that okay there is another bigger mountain to climb and then you they think that they want immediate results so they think they want to zipline from one mountain top to other which is not possible so you have to go again from the valley and enjoy that journey in the valley while going down because life is a roller coaster ride so there will obviously always be setbacks and everyone feels anxious while i'm saying this i would sound very motivating and i am a motivational speaker but trust me three days a week even i wake up in anxiety but it's okay it's the discipline and the long-term goal which keeps us going
1: do you think that, you know, when you said that thing that everything is in the valley or if you just see in the other sense that everything is during the journey, do you think that there is a fear of uncertainty? There is that scare that because of that, maybe someone is not able to enjoy the process. So how do you deal with it?
0: Mm, I, I don't know. I, I just try to give my best because if I don't try, I would never know. So we all yes. have that fear of uncertainty like uh, for example even at Everest even if you do everything right till the last hour you are not sure if you are going to make it to the top you might be the fittest person on earth, you might have the best weather reports, the best sherpa you, you don't have to worry about finances or anything but still you never know anything can go wrong you might run out of oxygen your body won't support some piece of gear won't be there nature won't support there might be an avalanche there can be a storm or anything but you still you just focus on the next step and you live in the moment and this is something which i learned from outing in in (laughs) my everyday life even i am impatient sometimes but yeah I'm getting better so that is why everyone should go and climb a mountain to get these lessons and I think it is all about habit building and building that discipline through consistency and sacrifices because without sacrifices without stepping outside your comfort zone there is no progress which most of the high achievers and winners know that is why they face the same setbacks and anxiety but it's all about how they react towards it
1: and does that mean when you said that discipline your will to suffer? You need to have like, because even an entrepreneurship, if I have to say, they say that you need to have a very strong heart. Every day something might happen, but you still have to get up, you know, bounce back and just do things. So in your context also, like, because you mentioned this thing that discipline your will to suffer, what would you like to add to it?
0: I I'm not sure because that... Statement itself is like so wholesome for me uh, that I don't know how to elaborate it. Yes. I would su- suggest people to wait for my book and there from my journey. Would, they would You're writing
1: book. a book? Yeah,
0: I'm writing a book. So they would be able to connect the dots somewhere. Uh, and I think it all comes to the same idea that if, if you are really serious about that goal and if you know why you are doing it, then all the sacrifices would be worth it. It won't even be suffering. It would just be a part of the process.
1: Okay. So, Harsh, my last question to you would be that share with me one experience from your journey to Everest or your journey while returning back from Everest where your courage to continue your willpower was put to test
0: there were a lot of moments out there uh but yeah one thing which which a lot of people can relate to is the covid thing like i i had everything i had storms i had avalanches i i fell on a dead body i i i had a friend who lost his life uh, and everything but one of the things in today's world which is so popular is covid so i got covid out there on the 48th day of my expedition just a night when i was leaving for the summit push and obviously i was devastated because i got covid exactly at a place where there is no oxygen lack of oxygen no infrastructure no medical facilities no communications and even your body is under exhaustion so, I, I did choose safety. I took some calculated risk. I stayed in isolation for another 11 days. And then I pushed for the summit. So, that was one of the places where all my life... uh sort of flashbacked in front of right. me and the lessons i had in every moment in those days because you can imagine as a young kid out there as the expedition leader of an international <laughs> team there must have been so much pressure mm. and so many options so many things going through my mind i i tried meditating sort of for the first time in in the past decade i googled using satellite internet on how to do various breathing exercises pranayama Someone suggested me to say this mantra and somehow that was the only mantra I learned as a child, Gayatri Mantra. I would chant that. I would do everything scientifically. I would gargle thrice a day with hot salt water. I would do with betadine. I took all the supplements. I would monitor myself. I checked with doctors, fortunately. I did have some doctors in my team and others, so... I did everything in my power without worrying about the result because it was yes. already off. Now, whatever I get was was just uh, me being lucky. And right. fortunately, I was. But what a lot of people don't understand, they think that someone is lucky. But all winners would relate to this that luck is when hard work means yes. opportunities so nobody is lucky and actually we already secretly hate someone when they call us lucky <laughs> because luck is like insulting someone's uh, hard work and journey and everything so but yeah I was very fortunate that everything fell in place yeah and maybe it was because of the years of uh, determination hard work consistency yes because of which i was able to make it despite the odds so this is one thing which maybe helps the listeners and uh, would help them in their journey and maybe someday someone would drop me a message that they climbed Everest after hearing this or climb their metaphorical Everest metaphorical, whatever it yeah. is for them
1: And, you know, well said, Hirsch. Also, you know, I just like to add something to this that, you know, we say it very aptly that kismat bhi mehenat ke kandho par sawar hoti hai. So you know, it was your hard work. It was very easy for you to quit, you know. Quitting, I think, was a very easy option. Maybe people would have been suggesting you that. But it was your <laughs> willpower. And the way you did that is absolutely amazing. And thank you for doing that. Because, you know, as you correctly mentioned that someday, okay, let's not talk about someone. I'll talk about my own self. Maybe I there were habits that I was trying to inculcate in my daily schedule. And maybe after this podcast, or maybe actually I'm going to do that, okay? So, yes, you have helped me towards my metaphorical Everest. And thank, thank you for you. not giving up. The world definitely needs you and the contribution you are making. Thank you, Harsh. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I hope that you had a good time. And thank you so much.
0: Yes, I did. Oh, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah.